Hello and welcome to Road to the Trials Season 3. Today we are joined for the first episode with Nico Montañez. Nico, welcome to the show. Hey, thank you for having me, Matt. I appreciate it. Oh, this is going to be great. So, Nico, we've had three seasons. This is the third season of Road to the Trials. And I will say, three straight seasons of having a BYU grad. <laughs> We're three for three with BYU grads here on yeah. uh, the Road to the Trials. Um, you know, We had Jared Ward, maybe the most famous of, uh, mm-hmm. of recent mm-hmm. men's running BYU grads, at least in terms of like the length of his, his, you know, you know, two, two decades or so, uh, post-college. And, um, maybe that's, that's maybe exaggerating a little bit, maybe a decade and a half post-college. And, yeah. um, <laughs> and then we had Abe Alvarado. Abe, the good Abe. Yeah. We were roommates, so I, I know him pretty well. He's a great guy. So yeah. Yeah. He just ran 148 up at, uh, up at, uh, was it the New Balance Grand Prix this weekend I, up here in Boston? Yeah. I, I saw his progression. I'm not sure of the race, but yeah, I, I love the, his progression. He's always kind of like moving forward, which is what I like to see for him. So, that's yeah, good. absolutely. And he had, you know, he had interesting, an interesting road of the trials season uh, a couple of years ago and back in 2021. And um, someone who, you know, he's just, he just seems like, and he came off this way before I even, even had him on the show. And he's certainly on the show. He came across this way is, you know, he is a soft-spoken guy, but he seems like a fighter. I don't know if that's how it oh, came yeah. across. Like when you, oh, yeah. you were living with them, so you know them as well as anybody. Yeah, I definitely I see this like um, you could call it a chip on his shoulder, but more than anything, like he loves this sport, and you can tell that he loves this sport. And maybe like the way he comes off could be like a chip on his shoulder, but I see more love for the sport. And when he like exhibits that through his training and running, it's like you can kind of tell like, oh, it's not a chip; it's it's more love. So. Right. Cool. And I don't even say this is a bad thing. I just I think it's no, it, yeah. you, you definitely because yeah. like you can definitely tell that like you know some people have and then we'll talk about a variety of different things in this podcast today. Not we're not going to spend the whole time mm-hmm. talking about Abel So <laughs> Some of here like hey, I want to hear about Nico. We'll get there. I promise. But it is interesting when you have you know people that can approach sports in very different ways and get very similar results, right? You have some people who take maybe take more of like a, a mindful approach to like, you know, embrace the journey, embrace the process and kind of like loving the experience where other people can just be like, and this doesn't, I'm not talking about Abe when I say this, but mm-hmm. there are other people who are kind of the other end of the spectrum, right? Like the Lance Armstrong's of the world who like feed off yeah. hate. <laughs> and like mm-hmm. that's, you know, they're, they're fueled on like that. Like they always need to be battling somebody <laughs> or something. And if they don't have it, they're like manufacture a villain just to like, <laughs> one that they could compete against uh where, where do you fall in on that spectrum uh i think more they enjoy the process honestly um i think in high school it was like create that villain but like i wasn't a like people like i, I liked being around other runners runners like being around me like nobody had hate um i think in high school it was like oh i wanted to go chase like for example the brian schraders of the world um, you know, he was in Arizona and I saw him run state. Um, but I think as I got older, it was like really enjoying the process. Cause like, man, when you make it all about running, it could be very challenging. I think so. Yeah, for sure. For sure. Yeah. Especially for someone who races long distances, right? You can't just be racing yes. all the time. Right. That's the thing about mm-hmm. like we're doing the track trials. Like a lot of these folks were like racing every week True. heading into the Olympics. Yeah. So it was like, Hey, they had a bad week. It's like, all right, whatever. We've got to. Tuesday workout and I'm back at it next Saturday. And obviously with someone like yourself, like that's not quite going to be the cadence of your race schedule. Yeah, exactly. Like there's a lot of time in between races, which is why actually uh, I put a race on the schedule in March. So I'm looking forward to that. But more than anything, it's like 
not really seeing where my fitness lies, but where where my head lies. How how mentally strong can I be uh, during that period of time? So I'm really looking forward to that one. All right, let's let's do a little little like intro. Get to know Nico a little bit more before yeah. we kind of spend more of our time talking about what's been going on over the past six to nine months or so. And then in the next episode, we're going to really dive into how the training is currently going and, and all of that build. And we'll probably talk about um, the March race, whether we record before or after and, and things like Great. that. Um, but let's just go back a little bit to when you were a runner in in, uh, in, in uh, junior college. Yeah. And you were looking to potentially run in college. I heard you tell uh, David Melly on the Run Your Mouth podcast, you basically talking about how like, you just weren't a fast guy. Like you just, you didn't have speed. You weren't really getting looked at by a lot of colleges and things like that. And then basically he, your coach had to use his connections to BYU to basically talk you into the program as opposed to you kind of getting in there on your, on your accolades, which was obviously an interesting dynamic considering yeah. where you ended up, <laughs> you know, yeah. uh, not, not, not that long afterwards. So talk to me about like where you were as an athlete in your, in your late teens and kind of why at that point, like you, called yourself slow and like what what that meant um so i'll I'll address the first part uh about calling myself slow and that had really had to do with like an insecurity issue that i've later worked with like a like a therapist with and a sports psychologist um kind of like calling my own shot if you will um like saying this is gonna turn out and then doing that exact outcome and then saying oh yeah i told myself so that that would happen um so i think that's something that i had to personally work through um when i look back at it i i wasn't slow because i made nationals for junior college like i don't think a slow person would make nationals um but for some reason i continued to put myself down and had this like really negative thought pattern throughout my entire life up and even even till now um and so yeah looking back i wasn't slow but i did say that a lot and um it was because I never was where I wanted to be. Um, you know, it was never good enough. Making nationals was never good enough. Getting third uh, on a, a national championship team in cross country was never good enough. Um, so I just think for me, it was like getting through those negative thought patterns and then kind of rewiring, okay, like this is what it means to be a runner and doesn't have to be attached to um, the accolades or anything like that just like I'm enough um and so yeah so running for coach uh Dave Barney at junior college was fun and I remember I did have some looks from some D2 some D3 um uh, I believe uh, Missouri uh at the time was interested in me um and I remember the coach was there at indoor nationals it was in New York City and I had run the mile, I was in heat two, and I was like in second or third place. And I finally just like somehow brought this like this inner person outside of me. And I was able to win the mile in like 420, right? And I was super stoked. I was like, man, I really like pushed myself and I was so happy. And the Mizzou coach came up to me and we chatted and I was like, you know, I think I'm going to go there. Like, I feel pretty good about this. Like, someone's actually interested in me because again, I've been putting myself down now for who knows how long, um, and my negative thought cycle, uh, thought cycle. So when I found somebody who was actually like, Hey, I saw some heart and like, I want that on my team. That was really cool for me. I, I would have dropped everything to go there. Um, but then, you know, my junior college coach, you know, kind of wrangled me in and was like, Hey, why don't we check out BYU? And 
I was ignorant. So I was like, oh, I don't want to go there. That's a, you know, Mormon school, but I, had, I knew nothing about them. Right. Um, there's just great people, but like, it's not for me. Um, so yeah, eventually my, my junior college coach, Dave Barney called up at Eyestone. They, they ran on the same, uh, world XD team together. So they, they were very familiar with each other. So that was the connection. I felt like they were, they ran against each other, uh, professionally made teams together. And so, um, from what I understand, the conversation went like, um, you know, Dave Barney calling up at Eyestone was like, Hey, I got a, I got a 30 minute guy for a 10 K. And Ed Eisen's like, oh, like, we're not really taking 30-minute guys right now. Um, he's like, no, but I, I know he can just go faster. Like, I know he has more in him. He hasn't done it yet. I was probably, like, 31 high or 32. Um, and so, yeah, Coach Eisen was like, well, you know, just bring him on. Um, we'll see what we can do. I was a sophomore. You know, I had to apply to, to, to the university still. Um, and so, yeah, I did all that processing and I had my own locker so I don't really know how much of a walk-on I actually was um but I figured having my own locker was a good sign um and then from there just like I worked my tail off um just to like raise the bar and honestly despite the negative thought patterns still going on in my life like I somehow like in a in a negative in a bad way like rose the like I raised the bar for myself in terms of running but I realized like I was still chasing this unachievable thing which yeah which is interesting <laughs> let's talk about that so is that born out of just an internalized sense of like you can always be more or were there like external comparison points whether they were people or times or records that you would look at and say like, Hey, I should be here. or I, I should be able to beat that person or this other person in, in the past when they were 20 years old, they did X. So then mm -hmm. I should be doing X. Like where, how did it manifest itself with you? I think, um, it definitely started probably before high school, maybe with some family history stuff. Um, and then it just progressed. But then I, I would say like looking at other athletes, like, wow, like this guy ran like 850 for the two mile in high school. Like I was 950, you know, they're a whole minute ahead of me uh, type of thing. And I'm a sophomore now, but again, I think I'm really slow. So that doesn't help. Um, but I think it was, I think it was looking at other athletes. I remember I would like, my grandpa has like this old dinosaur computer and I would watch like NXN and Foot Locker on it. Um, and I would play this like Jay-Z song and I would just watch the race oh, over uh, Empire State of Mind. Of course. All right. Yes. <laughs> and I would watch that. And I would watch guys like Footsum, Edward Cheserek, um, Lucas Verzbikas. Like, I would watch those guys just absolutely, like, tear up those races. And I was like, man, how do I, like, get there? So a little bit was, like, inspiration. Like, man, they're human, too. Like, at some point, I should be able to get there. But also, like, this, like, thought of, like, oh, my gosh, they're so good. I don't know how I'll ever get there. And then going to BYU is like, okay, now I'm with the Lucas Verzbikis and like those guys. Like, and so it was, yeah. um, I think it was a lot of comparing, a lot of comparing. So you weren't just so. like comparing yourself to like the fastest kid in town, maybe the fastest kid in Tucson. You're like, no, yeah. I'm going, I'm going to compare myself to the fastest kid in America. Yeah. <laughs> like that's yeah. and, and that's they a were. bold move. It is bold. Yeah. And I realized how, just how unhealthy it was and, um, 
Yeah, so it was uh, it was very interesting at my time at BYU because it was like, okay, I'm going to take the top dog, which was, you know, I think Jared Ward had graduated, but like Jason Witt uh, was like fourth indoors in the maybe the three or five K, probably three K, uh, was fourth outdoors in the ten K. Just really solid guys that I was like, um, okay, like what are they doing and how can I do that? You know, um, but then you like pair this love right? Like you, like these guys have nothing but love for you. Um, and like, again, it's coming back to these guys who are giving me attention. Like, oh, you're a junior college like kid and you came up to like D1. Like, what do you know? And I was like honored to be asked that, you know, like, and the BYU community is so loving and so open that I was like, I just, like, I fell right in with these guys and I just like completely immersed. It was like, I let down my guard. Eventually it was like, I don't have to compare to uh, Jason Witt, uh, Jared Ward, at, even at Stone, I didn't have to compare and was like, I can just be myself um, at this university. So it was a really cool experience because I know a lot of people have had opposite experiences. And uh, for me, it was, it was not the same. It was very different. Yeah. Yeah. When you're, when you're doing that comparison game, obviously it can be a great driver, but it also can be for a lot of people kind of like short term fuel. Right. Mm -hmm. It's like lighting a bonfire with like lighter fluid. It's like, that's a good <laughs> yeah. way to get it started, but probably not a good way to think to have that thing last all night long. And yeah. it can be really tough for a lot of people. So especially for someone like yourself, who has like internalized a lot of this over time, how did it, how were you able to make sure that these comparisons weren't so overt or harmful to you or distracting that, while they were still prevalent and maybe not the best thoughts that they didn't completely overwhelm you to the point where like, you were like, I just can't do this anymore. Or like, or like so many track athletes or, or college stars just say after college, like I'm done, like I'm done with competitive yeah. running. I've had enough. I'm burnt out. Mm -hmm. I think for me it was, um, and I'm copying somebody else when I say this, but like, if you want to be happy in life, there has to be a progression. Whether, whether it's really small progression, like 1%, half a percent, uh, maybe over the year, like whatever progression means to you. Like, and so for me at BYU, because I was quote unquote slow, uh, I made progressions through Ed Stone's training and, and through the guys there. So I was progressing, which was actually bringing me happiness. And then um, with that combined with that love for that I had for my athletes. And then I realized when I saw those other top athletes run, like uh, they were like, shining their light for me to shine my light too. Like they were giving me permission. It was that quote, it's like our deepest fear is not that we are inadequate. Um, that to me is like, okay, I can shine my light. I can be this junior college kid and I can move past what I um, have told myself, this negative thought process. And now I can turn it into this, well, how can I be positive now? How can I use this to like enhance my running enhance who I am as a person um and then like move forward through my, my running career and if it's if it's done after my senior year then it's done like I, I'm okay with that but like I'm not okay with the way I've been living because it wasn't who I was and so um yeah I just think like just having that like uh paradigm shift you know because I saw the athletes my own teammates and they weren't like cocky about anything they were just like willing to just spew out all types of information about training, um, nutrition, whatever it was to like help me be successful. So I was like, well, I can be the same 
you know, I can be a leader in my own way. So I kind of took that on as a challenge, but like in a healthy approach. And so just staying that in that positive mindset. In the moment, were you worried that if you kind of backed off the kind of mentality that had gotten you to that point, that you would lose your edge or you become less competitive if you weren't like completely like the hard driver wanting mm. to achieve, wanting to eclipse what other people had done? Um, you know, it's hard to look back and kind of have those moments just because I don't quite remember, to be honest. Um, cause like I said, I, I, I'm a person that like, if I follow something, I fully immerse. So I guess it could be a good and a bad thing, you know, if I fall into the wrong hands or something, but just really just following into that program, I was like, there was no looking back. It was only like, here I am. And, and, you know, I, there's still this competitive side to me. Like when that gun goes off, like. Um, yeah, I want to do some pretty bad things to people that are around me, but like after the race, like I'll cross that finish line and I'll shake everyone's hand win or lose. Cause like, I love everyone out there and I want everyone to still shine. Um, and if I can shine brighter, great. And if I can, but it doesn't really matter. Like I just want to be able to look myself in the mirror and be like, that was a great performance, you know? <laughs> so one of the hallmarks hallmarks of BYU's team, if we've seen this on the men's and women's side, not just with Coach Iastone, but also with Coach Dilji Taylor, is not only the incredible collegiate success, but so many of these individual stars have gone into the professional ranks or post-college ranks and continue to do very well. And that might seem like a very logical next step for people who aren't mm -hmm. associated with professional running, but it's not. There are we've seen countless people, and you probably know dozens, if not hundreds, of them that had a lot of success or a lot of talent, and then for a bevy of reasons, never really materialized or you know kind of like fulfilled that promise post college. So, what about BYU's program? What happens in college? What happens after college has lent itself to be one of the better schools in terms of allowing, or I guess. I don't even know the correct adjective, but I guess, you know, you know, getting some of their top stars, maybe even some of their less than top stars to that next level post-college where we've seen so many people not be able to do that. Mm -hmm. So the, I, I feel like I have an interesting perspective only because um, I got there at my sophomore year and I think it was the year after or maybe my sophomore year. I can't quite remember, but Abe Alvarado came to BYU because he followed Daljit Taylor. So that was like new to me. He was like doing both her training and Ed Eyestone training. So he was in the middle and I wasn't sure what he was quite doing. Um, but I personally feel like they have a great tradition there. Athletes are fast, but um, with the exception of Jared Ward at that time, I didn't feel like anybody was making those leaps and bounds in the professional world. Um, and then Coach Taylor joins and it's like a big difference. And my personal belief, my I, you know, I thought about this a lot, and she really works well with the mind. It's like, I more or less think that at, at a physical level, most colleges are doing about the same thing. They're getting in their strength training, their, their speed runs, their long runs. But how much are really investing in the mind? And I felt like when Coach Taylor got there, um, she both changed the men and the women's program, even though, you know, Coach Eystone is in charge of the men's. And um, not that Coach Eystone is doing a bad job, but we call him Easy e for a reason. You know, he's very laid back. 
Um, and Coach Taylor is very in your face, but in a, I feel like in a healthy way. And although I've never gotten to sit in like a, on like a, maybe a women's practice or like a meeting with them, I'd be willing to bet that she really hits the mind hard and like you can do whatever the heck you want if you're willing to like work for it. And so I feel like that to me when I was there has been the biggest difference um, because then when you believe that upstairs, you start working out different. You know, if you're working out to be a champion, not something that like like 20th place or something like you work out a lot different. You carry yourself a lot differently. Um, so, yeah, I really think uh, Coach Taylor has done, done a number on BYU for for sure. So I think uh, I think the mindset for sure. Let's focus on that, and not just from your college days, but also post-college days. You know, you've talked openly about you know seeing a therapist, seeing a sports psychologist as well, and really trying to embrace not only your physical aptitude, but your mental and emotional one as well. So what are some of the things that, um, I guess, the, the progressions in that capacity that you've made that have made a big difference for you? Yeah, uh, I guess like three like phrases or a couple of phrases come to mind. Like the first is like, I am enough. Um, I am worthy. And like, I accept myself. And like all of those intertwine with like the athlete that I'm trying to be. Um, and I felt like that encompasses, like, I, I started working with my sports psychologist, I believe in like, uh, late 2019 and then 2020 and I'm still working with them now. Um, but that's something I struggle with like quite a bit. And I guess the best example I can give is like, um, uh, when I won the 15 K gate river run, um, I wasn't going to do it. And, um, you know, I had a bum knee. Uh, I was running like 20, 30 minutes a day and I would, I would have to do side steps in between, you know, maybe 10 minutes on and then I have to do my side steps so my knee wouldn't hurt anymore. So I told Andrew, my coach, like, hey, I don't I don't really want to do this race. And I think that he thought it was my knee, but deep down it was like, oh, if I'm not going to win first place, like if I'm not going to do this for real, like I don't want to just, I don't want to do it. And for about a week, it just bothered me because I was like, that was not the journey I set out to do as a professional runner. That it's not about the accolades. It's about accepting myself, like whatever I can look my like when I can look myself in the mirror and say like, no matter what happens, like I I accept myself. You know, I love myself. Um, so about a week passed, and I told Andrew, I was like, you know what, screw this, like knee bum or not, like obviously let's get the knee fixed. But if it feels better, let's do it. Um, let's go all in because this isn't the journey that I like. I realized like winning first place is not what it's about. Although I will take it if it does happen. Um, and so we trained. And again, I fully immersed myself because that's the type of person I am. And we did. Uh, <sighs> looking back, I don't really know how I ran that pace or or um, did the move that I did. But well, I do, uh, you know, like, I guess emotionally speaking, but physically, I was just like, I didn't I didn't look back on that on that block of training and be like, wow, that was amazing. I'm going to, I'm going to win the 15 K. It was like, emotionally, I was already winning the 15 K. Um, and so when I made that move with two miles to go up the hill, uh, it wasn't a move of like, I'm better than everyone. It was a move of like me saying yes to myself, saying yes to me, saying yes to like, despite everything I've been through in my life and like all that negative thought pattern, like this is me coming out into the world and saying here I am like accept me like whether you not accept me whether or not you accept me like I am here and I'm here to stay 
And so, like, there was a lot of emotion in that move. And so, like, um, yeah, I ended up, you know, winning the race and, and, you know, making some good money. But at the end of the day, that's what, it, that's what not, like, what it was about. You know, my dad was there, so I could celebrate with him. And that was, like, a really cool, like, experience for me because it was, like, my dad loves me whether I'm a champion or not. Um, you know what I mean? So I think, like, Again, it just like constantly reminding myself that like I am enough, regardless of what the result says, you know, or what the time that's associated with that result. So it was just a really cool experience. Like I, I look back on that 15K a lot, um, not because I want it, but because like I finally like there was no negotiating with anybody else. Nobody could tell me who I was like I I got to make that decision. And so that was like a really cool experience for me. And that was something like, I felt like I finally put together everything my therapist has taught me and my sports psychologist therapist has taught me and my coach has taught me and what my family has been saying, like you are enough. But for some reason I've been telling myself that I wasn't enough. So it was like a nice, uh, it was a nice way to celebrate when I did win. So, yeah. Let's talk about like that sense of belief or faith, right? You're a man of faith. Um, you've spoken mm-hmm. um, openly and honestly about that in the past. Um, and you know, that's kind of what we're talking about here, right? Cause it's one thing if you're like, Hey, you know, <laughs> I ran, <laughs> you know, 15 K in training at 1530, you know, 1530 per 5k pace and I'm ready to roll. Like, here we go, you know, versus yeah. like, you know, like this, you're going into this race with far less than ideal training and still going into it. And having that faith, that belief that you can make things happen and not just going into not just going into in terms of like, hey, I have proven myself. So now I know that I can do it as a, you know, and it's, it's a very different thing. So talk to me a little bit about that and your, in your journey to that point of that, that self-belief, even if maybe the facts lining up, like you're into like a pros and cons list heading into the race, maybe <laughs> they don't look like it's going to be going into your favor. Yeah, because I feel like so many of us, in especially a metrically driven sport like running, can be, especially if we're running on the roads or on the track, where it's like there almost doesn't feel like there is as room for self belief for something that we've never done before. Yeah, um, so there was hiccups along that, you know, obviously the knee, um, but one of the hiccups that like kind of threw me off track was Galen Rupp late entry, and I, I, I think I had uh, Andrew give me a massage like that next day, and I. I was like, hey, Andrew, can we talk about the race? And, you know, Andrew's like, what do you mean? Like, we already negotiated that this is the move you're going to make. And what are you kind of like getting off track for? And so I I look back and I'm like, wow, like we can have this goal and still have things knock us off our path. And so for me, that was an, a late entry, a.k.a. Galen Rupp. And I was like, you know, should we should we change our game plan? Like, I was like nervous. And like, and he assured me like, no, this is the plan that's going to get you the championship. And if it doesn't, then you can blame me. It's all I kept saying. And so, like, in a way, I was trying to wiggle myself out of not executing because I was insecure. I was scared. I I didn't want to see if I really had, you know, the tools to make this happen, you know. And so I, I look back and I'm like, wow, like, there were some things that happened that I was like, or like, uh, you know, I did like one straight tempo i think it was six or seven miles like maybe two weeks before and um it was like an easier course and lower elevation i was like well that was pretty good but it wasn't great again me going back to this negative self thought like 
you know, how, well, how did you feel? That's what's more important, you know, in, in, in the tempo. So just things that like still were knocking me off my path, even though I had set this like vision tunnel, this is where you're making the move um, because it has a lot more to do with than running, even though it's ironic because we're running. <laughs> yeah, know? for um, sure. Oh, yeah. and, I mean, it's, it's a national championship race too, right? I mean, going yeah, in there yeah. and being like, hey, this isn't just a big race, but, you know, we can kind of move past it and move on to the next one. There's that, This is a big deal. And, and you've done well in, in some other comparable races, right? So you had yeah. the half marathon championships, which, which mm-hmm. is an absolutely stacked field. So mm-hmm. Peter Bronka uh, and Stephanie Flippen <laughs> and I were talking about it on the intro show. Like I just went okay. down the list of, I think it was like the top 15 <laughs> finishers. I was like, oh my God, this is like 15 of the top like 25 runners in america were at this race right if not more and it was like it, it, a crazy crew like you finished third and ran i think 101 something and mm-hmm. it was it was a great field and, and you ran really well and again within some some great runners and then you come out and you know run 209 in chicago so you have definitely laid the groundwork mm-hmm. for somebody who is absolutely in the mix to be top three a year from now uh, in Orlando at the trials. So I guess this last question about the past, where were you three years ago heading into the, the, the 2020 trials? Where were you as a runner? Where was your mindset in terms of your future? Just take us back to, to those days. Uh, it was hard. Um, I just remember training with my teammate at the time, Reed Buchanan, um, we were doing some great training and I thought I was in pretty, pretty good shape. Um, but, and we had a half marathon coming up the Houston half. And that was my, that was I think finally my breakout race. I think everyone who ran the trials ran the Houston half. I was there <laughs> that weekend. It was like the entire American running landscape was That's there. So it true. was either the, the elites like yourself who were like, I want to maximize my mm-hmm. fitness for Atlanta. We're six weeks out. Let's do it. And then there were the people like the Peter Bromkas of the world who were like, I just want to make it to the trials and this is the last stop <laughs> on the train. So it was yeah. like, it was insane to just walk around and see all the people there. Yeah. Um, that there was quite a, yeah, a lot of athletes. Um, but yeah, uh, uh, Houston have was my breakout race. And I kept telling Andrew and both my teammate, like, yeah, I think I'm ready to run 63 minutes. Like if I can run 63 minutes, I am, I'm stoked. I'm in a good place for the trials. Um, you know, and then I end up having a breakthrough race. I'm one of the top Americans, and I run like 61.40, or I, I don't know exactly what, but it was in the 61 range, maybe 61.30. Um, and that just like sparked a whole new thing in me. Um, but I also came into that race knowing that if that race hadn't gone well, I didn't know how long my future would last in, in Mammoth Lakes. I needed to make a living as a professional runner. Um, that's just the reality of it. Um, you know, nothing's free in this world. And so I was like, okay. Uh, you know, I know I can do well. 63 minutes is great. It'll give me like a small bonus if I can, if I can get, if I can do this right. Um, and then the next thing you know, I just take off like a bat out of hell and I'm with the top American pack. And then all of a sudden I'm sprinting with Jared Ward and Reed Fisher as for one of the top American spots. And that just kind of proved to me, not that, um, I've always had it, but just like, kind of that sense like when your back is pushed against the wall when you have no other choice it's like burn the damn ships you know and like there's there's no there's no option b there's no option c there's only option a um and so that kind of just like that was a really cool experience and then the trials happened and again i burned the quote-unquote burned the ships but i was 20th place and i was like 
wow, <laughs> like there's a lot of great athletes in um like I thought I was going to finish higher. And I'm glad I didn't because it, it showed me like some humility that I, maybe I didn't have before and um, I'll, like a lot of things to work on. But, um, you know, with Andrew, my coach, like I feel like we have been prepping for 2024. Like 2020 is very important. But like my marathon golden years are just now starting. Um, and that's kind of something he's always been implementing in me. And so um, I feel like I'm now reaping the benefits because I've put in the work in 2020, three years ago, you know, whatever, 2019. So like, um, yeah, I feel, I feel like I'm in, again, this, what I talked about earlier, I'm making that progression. And so therefore I'm happy because I'm making that progression. Yeah. So it was like a That's more great. of a learning block. Yeah. At that point. So. Yeah, I mean, you were part of the BYU wave in the low 20s, <laughs> oh, yeah, right? Gosh, <laughs> it was yeah. you, Connor McMillan, and Jared Ward. You kind of came yeah. in like a fleet of BYU uh, yeah. runners. <laughs> yeah, I actually, I think, I don't remember. I might have beaten them both. Clayton Young was in there, but like he was just there to have fun because he was injured for most of that time. So like it was unfortunate, but like he Yeah, didn't I think get Jared that. was 24th and, and Connor was either 23rd or 25th. I mean, they were they were running okay. together at the end. Yeah, yeah, I remember being in the pack with um oh my gosh, I'm going to blank on his name. Uh he was uh Jake Riley. I was in yeah. the pack with Jake Riley. He made the move and again, me fully immersing myself, I went right with it and I died about a mile later and you know, obviously he was in <laughs> great shape. Um but I like I learned a lot. I was like, wow, I I can respond to moves even though like I might die a little later, but that was like cool for me. I wasn't scared to do that. And that, I think that move separated me from Jared and Connor McMillan. So that might've, and I kind of just stayed there slowly dying, <laughs> slowly going backwards. Those hills in Atlanta, man. Whew. Well, you live in Mammoth Lakes. Talk about you live on a mountain. Um, well, that's interesting too. I wonder, did you view the move that Jake made? differently after the fact than during the race i mean during the race you're probably like i gotta go with this guy after the fact you're like wait that two finished top three what, what, yeah, what just did, happened had, yeah exactly that's exactly what went through my mind i was like oh he's making the move i'm gonna i better get my butt up there and i just never could hang with him you know um it got too much for me but when i found out he would finish in the top three i was like you're like that's a lie like somebody lied to me like there's right, no he made, like, way. one of the best moves of all time. It's like no shame Gosh, in not sticking with it. It was so cool. Yeah. <laughs> Such a cool move. <laughs> all right. Well, let's talk about this year, right? So again, we're going to talk yeah. a little bit more training stuff in the next episode. Um, but you're coming off of a, um, a race in Chicago where, you know, round numbers are just a thing in running, right? Whether it's, yeah. you know, the amateur runners who you want to get the three thirty for the BQ or the, the three hour for the BQ and, and things like that uh, for people in your group, you know, there's kind of that group of like sub two twelve, right. That was kind of a number mm -hmm. for a while that a lot of people talked about. And, and especially, I think I feel like four years ago, that was the number it was like, who's under two twelve. It was like kind of an mm -hmm. arbitrary thing, but now like going under, so going sub two ten, right. That is a, that is an August group. That's a real thing. And you're in that group now. Um, when you're getting ready for Chicago, obviously you've talked a lot about progression and you're obviously a confident guy and, and you have the results to back it up. And, and all of that, as you're going into that race, what were the goals that you had laid out for yourself and what kind of fitness did you think that you were in? Yeah, so I like to do one race at a time. So I did cross actually in, in uh, January, didn't finish the race. So that's been a roller coaster of emotions for me. Uh, I've never really dropped out of a race before, let alone a, a championship race. 
So I took a down week and um, had to really re- reassess, like, okay, remember, like, why you're doing this. It has nothing to do with the results. And so I've been kind of on that journey, back on that journey, which is never ending. Um, even though I think that I have it right, I typically don't. Um, but I would say, like, me making progress in that zone again. And so, like, now I've, I'm laying down a really good foundation. I feel like I, despite the result, I laid down a good foundation uh, for the marathon build because I didn't do too high of mileage. Um, I did, like, 10K specific work. So I got some speed in there, which was, like, fun. Like, it was fun to do uh, all that stuff despite, again, the result. Um, so now I'm in this like phase where I'm like, you know, base building and I'm getting in harder workouts. My, my love of the workouts, like long, long stuff. Um, so that's kind of like where I'm at right now. Um, uh, yeah. So I'm just like enjoying that, like kind of process of just the long, slow build of, of everything. So for you, what, is there big differences in 10 K type training versus marathon training. And the reason I ask that is because I've talked to, again, especially in the Rambling Runner podcast, which is my other podcast, we focus more on, on dedicated amateur runners, but I have talked to Sarah Vaughn and, and other people who are in the pro ranks about this and even some pro coaches about the differences between marathon training and 10K training. And it's interesting how some people have kind of like wildly different views on this yeah. in terms of like yeah. how hard to go towards VO2, tra- VO2 max training versus like, hey, there really isn't that much of a difference except like, a little bit of a different long run kind of feel to it. So what, where, does, where do the differences fall for you? And, and uh, I guess, why do you, why do you feel you're, you're, you like more of the marathon training a little bit more than the 10 K training? Yeah, I think I was doing about 85 miles a week uh, during that 10 K training. And like, I felt like, Oh, I'm not doubling tonight. Like that's weird. And then like it, the next day I'd be like, Oh, I'm not doubling again. But if I double, like I'll be at like 90 somehow. So like, I can't like, I told myself I couldn't double, which is probably unhealthy in itself. But um, yeah, I think I think in terms of the mileage, but honestly, it shouldn't be that different. And it's probably not all that different. But for some reason, like that kind of like was in my head, like, oh, I'm not doing super high mileage because that's where I get my strength from. Like, that's what I know. But, you know, Andrew being the coach that he is and being smart, he's like, I, I, I'm sorry, but I had to hold you back because where would we go from here if we were doing 110 miles a week? You would have done well at cross, but now we have 10, 11, 12 more weeks before Boston. Like, where do you go from there? And thank God I have him to someone hold me accountable because, yeah, I don't know where I would go from there, you know? And, you know, we tapered pretty well for the race. So I think all in all, like, it really isn't that much different. Um, I just thought it was because it wasn't marathon training, um, what I'm used to, you know, att- the it was hard. It was a really hard race, um, physically for me. So, um, yeah, I just like, I think my brain was like, Oh, I'm not in the hundred and X's or whatever. So I'm not performing my best, you know? So that was something that I had to deal with. Interesting. Did you feel the same way? Like when you were in college, like when you were like 10 K was just kind of like the standard, the standard race. Do you feel like you had to be in that triple digit mileage or is this just something that has kind of progressed in terms of, cause your training has elevated, like all of a sudden that just be, you know, those triple digits just became the norm. I, I had that same thing in, uh, in college too, my senior year and during the cross country build, like I would do a hundred or more miles and then I would do a two hour long run. And then we get to the 10 K on the track or the 5 K 
And there was there was a big discrepancy between my cross country times and like efforts and paces and placings versus track. Uh, sometimes I would step off the track because I was like, oh, this is too hard. But like I realized like track was like another whole mental battle for me. And you could tell the big discrepancies. And I I have finally I feel like have like evened out my level, maybe not quite, but like I've increased, I've bettered my track times because I realized how much more of a mental game it is um, and how less it had to do with the mileage. But for some reason, I uh, assigned it to the mileage. Yeah. So. Well, you're the national champion at the 50K. <laughs> you finished top three in the half marathon. I don't know. I'm no expert coach, but I feel like you certainly have the fitness and the pedigree to do just fine at the 10K, all things being considered. Um, So I guess last thing before we get going, Nico, um, you've talked a lot about like a lot of things have been in preparation for 2024 in the marathon. Is there also concurrently this feeling of like, hey, you know, no matter what happens, maybe, um, you know, considering, you know, the the 10K for the track um, after Orlando and, and, and do that sort of thing. Again, considering the kind of success you have had at some of these shorter endurance races. Yeah, uh, the answer is absolutely yes, 100%. Only because I've never made it to the NCAA level or championship in college. And so for me to go make an Olympic trials just to do it would be me telling myself, like, again, I I am enough. I do accept myself. Like, I can do hard things. So, like, it's more of that and just seeing how it plays out because I know how fast our 10K American field right now is. And so just what a joy it it would be for me to to be involved in that. And, again, to have their light shine so that my, my light can shine too with them. So... To say nothing of like the college kids, right? There's like the group <laughs> oh of college God. runners right now is absolutely <laughs> insane. I don't follow it yeah. too closely, but like you see like the entire Washington track team goes like sub three fifty seven in the marathon in, in the mile in one in, in one meet. You're like, wait, what? <laughs> All seven when it's sub three fifty seven? I know. Um it's insane. Um I said last question, but that was a lie. Let's talk about where you are right now. Mm-hmm. And why you're there, because this is something that we talked <laughs> to Dana Moreno a couple of days ago, and your podcast has come out before hers, so we do okay. have to kind of introduce what's happening. But, you know, the weather is different in all places, and it seems like it's affecting your life a little bit. Yeah, so I'm, I'm currently in Flagstaff, Arizona, which isn't a bad place to be. You know, this seems to be what people call the mecca of running. I would disagree, but that's just my opinion. Um, uh, I, yeah, I had a housing kind of situation uh pop up to where I couldn't go back to Mammoth Lakes right away. Um, and so I'm hoping that we kind of maybe uh, get things under control towards the end of the month. And I can go back for that last, you know, two months of my build or, or whatnot. Um, so with that being said, even though it's getting hit by snow and stuff like that, I am pretty happy to be here. There, there's sun, there's great weather here. So I just ran on all dirt this morning. It's kind of hard to do in Mammoth Lakes because of all the snow. Um but yeah, so maybe it is a blessing in disguise that I'm like here with my girlfriend and, and celebrating with her every day. So, um, but the sooner I can get back to Mammoth, I think the better because I, I, you know, I just enjoy, I enjoy Mammoth so much. I love it. It's beautiful. I think the only dirt in Mammoth right now is the dirt <laughs> throwing on the roads because of yeah. all the ice. <laughs> we're Absolutely. Talking, we're talking with Danny uh, Moreno about it. Like they're measuring the snowfall in people. It's like it's two and a half people high right now as opposed to like yeah. inches or feet. The, the, the stat she quoted when we were talking was that it had the highest snow amount like 
in the like in the world at any ski resort is like the, 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 there's the most snow in the world right than anywhere else in terms of ski areas than it is in mountain lakes. Wow. I would I would yeah I I want to say I heard like something about the Sierra Nevadas have the biggest snowfall so far and we're, and Mammoth Lakes is part of that. So we got a small dusting here today in Flagstaff and I think it was 6 to 7 inches in Mammoth. So that's a big difference. Um yeah, big difference. Oh my god. That is crazy. Dan Dan Reno like we're you know outdoor running extraordinaire <laughs> is like training on treadmills like to, pre- to preview yeah. an episode to come like even even she is like not running outside and she's like golden girl golden trail world series like extraordinaire she, <laughs> even she's like taking it to the treadmill it shows you how nasty <laughs> it is nico thank you so much for joining us for season three i'm excited to chat with you in march and until then happy running thank you so much matt i appreciate the help